Chapter 24 of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 24 Mary Brown Carpenter. For the remainder of the walk, Mary Brown gave divided heed to what her companion was saying, being distraught with her own thoughts. She realized that she was still living in a double faced way before this part of the world, before even this man whose promised wife she was. Of course, she was going to tell him all about herself. But when was it to be done, and how? There had passed two precious weeks, during which she had reveled in the thought that she had been chosen and loved for herself alone. The almost morbid strain in her mind, born of certain sad experiences, that it was her large fortune rather than herself in which many of her so-called friends were interested, had hovered in the background during all those months in which Richard Wade was trying to convince her that she loved him well enough to be his wife. Not that she did not believe that Richard sincerely loved her, or thought he did, but Richard, without being a wealthy man, was yet one who had never been compelled to curtail his personal expenses, or forgo any of the small luxuries with which he surrounded himself. Without realizing it in the least, he had seriously periled his own hopes more than once by random remarks that hinted at the value he placed upon money. Mary Brown remembered distinctly one bit of history. They had been out together, she and Richard, on an errand of mercy. A young woman who had once been nursery governess in her father's family, and who had married from their house a man who was considered above her in station, had fallen upon sad times. The husband was the victim of a serious illness, so long drawn out that he had lost his position, it being believed that he would never be able to fill it again. During this time one of the children sickened suddenly, and died. Then, before the man had succeeded in finding another position, the overburdened wife and mother fell ill, and the family was really in need, or would have been but for Mary Brown's timely discovery of the situation. It was just after they had left this stricken home that Richard Wade, with an expressive shrug of his ample shoulders, remarked that such an experience as that poor fellow was having was calculated to make the average man think twice before he plunged into matrimony. "'Do you remember what a free and easy life he used to lead?' he asked her. "'And how well gotten up he always was, like a man who had no occasion to think twice before he bought what he wanted? And now look at him actually seedy. If I were he, I should go and hang myself.' careless words, forgotten by the speaker as soon as uttered, but Mary Brown pondered them. Since that was the way Richard felt, suppose she should marry him and lose her money and fall ill, would he want to go out and hang himself? Of course it was folly. Richard did not mean anything very serious, but—money had wings, everybody knew that. Suppose she, with all the advantages of education and culture that wealth had permitted her, should lose just the money, would Richard want to marry her then? She could not be sure that he would. And I, she told herself, would want to marry him if neither of us had a penny in the world. No, I don't mean that. I mean, I should want to marry the man that I really wanted to marry, even though— And then she had stopped suddenly, startled over the inevitable logical conclusion of her own thoughts, and she had never been able to get entirely away from the self-revelation that Richard Wade's random words had given her. During the progress of her acquaintance with Mr. Brown, no thought of money had intruded until this moment. Suddenly the problem that had haunted her young womanhood rose up before her in new form. This man would be ready to marry her to-morrow, even though she had not so much as shoes for her feet. She was sure of it. She exulted in it, but would he be so ready if he knew that she had inherited and held in her own right a very large fortune? Was he a proud man in that way? She knew that some men were, but she did not believe it of him. She believed that the other Miss Brown had been right when she suggested that true people, those whose friendship was worth having, chose their friends without regard to the accident of money. It was hardly possible, she thought, that the fortune which had interfered with her plans and menaced her happiness for years could disturb her now. The man she loved was too great for that. 
Still, it ought to be explained without further delay, and her reasons for her anomalous position made clear to him, and she did not know how to do it, nor where to begin. When they reached the tree-shaded porch of the dining hall and found it deserted, she placed herself resolutely in one of the large rockers as she said, "'Have you work that must be done tonight? If you haven't, suppose we sit here for a while. I have something that I want to tell you.' "'No work tonight,' he said, helping himself to the chair beside her, with alacrity. "'I am ready for anything you have to offer, and rejoice that at last you have something to tell me. It is my belief that I have done most of the telling for the last two weeks.' She laughed and flushed over the hint. She knew it had reference to his complaint that she had never told him in so many words that she loved him, while he—but her face grew serious again at once. Part of the story she had to tell she liked, but some of it troubled her. Would he think she had done very wrong in deceiving people, or at least in letting them infer what they had? "'It is very different telling from what you think,' she began, and she knew that her voice trembled a little. It was absurd, and it was new to her to care so very much about the effect of what she had to tell. I don't have to earn all my living." This was surely true, but it did not sound honest. She tried again. I would not have to earn any of it if I did not care to. I have a little six-roomed cottage at Circleville all my own. That is why I am to stop there on my way home, and it is why I would like to have you stop there to see me. I want to invite you to take tea at my cottage. There are little blue cups and saucers, willow pattern, and real silver spoons, lovely old-fashioned ones, very thin. Mary Brown, that other Mary Brown, whose place I told you I took here at Mrs. Roberts's because she could not come." She hesitated in a surprising way, considering the commonplaceness of such a statement. Ought she to explain to him that she had never seen the other Mary Brown? What did it matter to him? Some other time she could explain, and she hurried on. "'I can get her, I think, to come and live with me for a few weeks at the cottage. At least I am going to try for it, and have her serve us when you come to take tea. Besides, I have a charming plan about that. I want her to—' Oh, there are so many things to tell you. Never mind now. It is the dearest little cottage. The room's so tiny and neat and comfortable. It will be great fun to entertain you there." He sat where he could get a full view of her face in the brilliant moonlight, and he was looking down at her, his own face alive with amusement. "'So you have a cottage of your very own,' he said. "'A cottage with six rooms and blue cups and willow patterns, whatever they are. You have no idea how very glad I shall be to see it. That will be some compensation for the loss I have sustained here. I have simply suffered for a glimpse of the room behind those red curtains." She made a dismayed exclamation. "'How did you know anything about that room?' "'From my friend Mrs. Roberts. She admires all the cunning little contrivances for comfort and beauty hidden behind those curtains, and so do I. She has agreed with me that it was a dreadful pity I could not see it.' "'Just hear those two people laugh,' said the other Miss Brown, who sat in the door of her tent chatting with one of the girls. "'What two people?' "'Mr. and Miss Brown. I wonder what the fun is.' I wonder if they won't be Mr. and Mrs. Brown one of these days. Don't you believe so?" I have no reason for believing anything about it. I hope so, if that is what you mean. Why? Oh, because I think they are suited to each other, and because he could teach her some lessons that she needs to learn. I thought you admired her immensely. Of course I admire her. If I didn't, would I hope that she might marry Mr. Brown? It is very interesting to own a six-roomed cottage, Mary Brown hurried to say when the laugh was over. I have felt peculiarly rich ever since it became mine." And she told him hurriedly and eagerly the story of Nurse Borland and her legacy. "'That is a charming story,' he said. She was once in your father's family, did you say? And remembered you tenderly all these years? I do not wonder that you prized the cottage. What were your plans concerning it before I persuaded you to consider others? You did not mean to live there yourself? You intended to return to your work in the city?' "'Oh, no,' she said hurriedly. I had no idea of living there, but I planned to stop there on my way home and stay a few weeks, 
provided I could find some girl that I liked well enough to invite her to stay there with me. And you did not find the girl? Oh, yes, I found dozens of them, but— But there was a man who pushed in and spoiled their good times. I am sorry for them, and delighted to be invited instead. Only I cannot stay a few weeks, Mary. I must be back at my work. Would it not be well to take one or two of the dozen with you to stay in the interim? Oh, no, she said. I have a plan. The other, Mary— have I told you anything about John Jackson? Not a syllable. Who is John Jackson? Am I to shoot him or admire him or what? Oh, he is admirable in every way. He wants to marry the other Mary Brown, and I want them to live in my little cottage. Ah, that sounds interesting. Since it is the other Mary Brown he is seeking, and not this one, I shall not object. Indeed, I am ready to further his plans. Are you arranging for a wedding in the six-roomed cottage? I hadn't thought of that, but wouldn't it be charming? We could have it while you were there. You are to stay at the Circleville Hotel, you know, and only come to the cottage to call. The hotel is very nice, at least I have always remembered it with pleasure. I wonder if we could plan for a wedding, but I shall have to wait until— She made one of those sudden pauses of which her life in these days seemed to be full. She was not yet ready to explain that she had never as yet beheld the face of the other Mary Brown, whose place for the summer she was trying to fill. "'So the happy man's name is John,' he said amusedly. "'Another John and Mary.' Yes, if his name had been Brown also, wouldn't it have been too ridiculous? But there are millions of them. I thought at one time of making a house party and inviting all the Browns I could reach. Would you do it? In the six-roomed cottage? Oh, no! She laughed again, and then grew suddenly quiet. How was she ever to explain to him about that house on Euston Square? Nothing that she had told him thus far seemed to have awakened the slightest curiosity or suspicion, and she was other than one Mary Brown, a public school teacher which latter fiction he had evolved for himself out of very scant material, and without, she was thankful to remember, the slightest help from her. He seemed to be so sure of it that he had asked but one embarrassing question in its connection, that had been, what ward she taught in. And at that opportune moment Mrs. Roberts had called her hurriedly, and he had never repeated the question. There had been such a short time since he had the right to ask personal questions, and their opportunity for private conversation had been so limited that she had escaped many perils. But he seemed to have no more questions to ask, he fell into a silence which lasted for so long that she wondered a trifle anxiously what he was pondering. How could she continue her revelations without compelling him to feel that she had been culpably insincere? Suddenly he spoke. "'This seems to be an hour for confessions. I have some to make for myself, and it has puzzled me not a little to know just how to make them. I have no six-roomed cottage, dear, but I have a name. Should you be very sadly disappointed, Mary Brown, and would it shut me out from that intended party of the Browns, if you found yourself compelled to change your name after all?" She was looking at him wonder-eyed and bewildered. "'I don't understand,' she faltered. "'And no wonder. The truth is I am half ashamed of the situation in which I find myself. Aliases have always seemed to me to be a very cheap form of joking, and nothing was farther from my intention than to indulge in one. It must have been partly the fault of that clear-vision station agent who, you will remember, asked me the first time I set eyes upon you if you were my wife. I am able to forgive him much because of that. Mary Brown Carpenter. Would that be very objectionable, dear?" Astonishment made her for a moment speechless. End of chapter 24